Well, dear congregation, I ask you now to please turn your prayerful attention to that portion of God's holy word that I read to you in your hearing just a little while ago there in Second Samuel in the chapter 13. Week by week, we've been going through the book of Second Samuel. We went through the book of First Samuel, but we have a consecutive, consistent expository ministry going through these tremendous narratives of the Old Testament where we are learning from the life of David. And we pray that we will find lessons for our own lives. This is a very harrowing passage, no doubt difficult to read, also difficult to preach from. But friends, I am not at liberty to pick and choose what I can and cannot preach from in the Word of God. We are to preach the whole of the counsel of God's Word. We are to preach the Word. And just because it is difficult, just because it is an awkward passage, we mustn't shy away from it. There are important lessons. A man is proven to be a fool if he thinks he is wiser than God and to avoid certain passages of Scripture. We don't do that here in this church. We trust that the Lord will bring us a message. It is a very sensitive passage, Difficult passage, but the Lord will bring us truth and application for our lives. So in our regular week-by-week systematic expository ministry, we come here to chapter 13. Now, chapter 12 was equally a very difficult passage. If you remember, and I just recall in your mind, just to fit everything here in chapter 13 into context, we must consider just very briefly what we saw last week. In chapter 12, in chapter 12, remember David committed that awful sin of adultery and murder. And that was in chapter 11. And then chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, David, I want to tell you a parable. And he tells him a parable. It's a parable of condemnation, self-condemnation. David, in fact, condemns himself in that parable. David is disgusted with the way that the rich man treats the poor man's ewe lamb. Remember, the poor man had a ewe lamb, and it was like a little child in the house, and it used to drink out of the cup, and the children played with it. And the rich man had a friend that came into town, and, well, he dressed the lamb. They ate the lamb. And that lamb, pictured in that parable, is none other than Bathsheba. Now, of course, what is the punishment? What is the, the law regarding adultery, death? Bathsheba should have been killed. So should David have. But remember, Nathan said, thou shalt live. David, thou art the man, but thou shalt live. Why would David live? By all accounts, David should be dead. Well, the reason why David must live is that he must give birth to another son, Solomon. Because Solomon eventually must have one that will come in many generations to come, one that is greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. God was preserving that royal seed. An exception was made here, but by all accounts, David and Bathsheba should have been slain. Nathan the prophet said, however, David, thou shalt live. And live so that the Savior who would die for the sins of his people would come into this world. Now, 
while David, it seems, he is, well, he hasn't been let off really, uh, we begin to see now the consequences of his sin in his life. Immediately in this chapter 13, there are serious consequences to David's sin. And one of the consequences announced to David is that the sword shall never depart from David's house. Remember how God declared to David, because of that sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and then murdering Uriah the Hittite, her husband, sword will never depart. But there would even be more. Even David's own wives and his concubines. What David did, should we say, secretly concerning Bathsheba, God will shame David, not because he wants to shame him, but to show that God is disgusted with sin and that God is a God of righteousness. David's wives, uh, they will be defiled. And even by one of his own household, remember in Second Samuel 16, you may wish to turn there, and the fulfillment of that promise is that God, because thou, remember the Lord said, despised him, that even David's wives would be taken from him. There would be a breach. Second Samuel sixteen twenty-two. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The same sin is being now visited upon David. Why? Because the Lord is showing himself to be a righteous God. A just God. And that God does not let the guilty go in some ways unchastened. David is being chastened by this. And even as we'll learn this morning, we can be chastened by other people's sins. And that's what we see here in the life of David so we've got to be very careful. And remember what I said last week, all sin is despising God. Do you remember, look back at Second Samuel 12, verse 10. Let me read from verse 9, actually. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? So David lightly esteemed the Lord's commandment. Not to murder, not to commit adultery. Above all... We could sum up all of the Ten Commandments as in loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, Leviticus 19. But also, verse 10, not only did he despise the commandment of the Lord, but the Lord says there in verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me. Remember what we said? To despise the Lord's commandments is to sin, and to sin is to lightly esteem God. It is to disesteem God. You cannot sin without disesteeming God. To despise the Lord is to think little of him and to think little of his commandments. And again, the Lord is doing this for good reason. David did something secretly, but now all Israel knows about it. But God must show himself to be the God who vindicates his name. God is holy, and God must be vindicated as the God who is holy. And although David is spared, and David has to be spared, because the Savior must come into the world. We must emphasize that. 
Many people forget why David is not slain. David should have been stoned to death, but he is preserved so that the Savior would come into the world. Now, the Lord's name must be upheld by all men, by all Christians. If we name the name of the Lord, remember God says he will not be mocked. He will be honored, and those who lightly esteem him, he will abase, he will humble that person. And the man who jettisons God's word and his commandments, it's a serious thing to be a teacher of God's word. We are to teach the whole counsel of God. And especially as ministers, we are to live it out. The minister slips or falls, he can cause the whole congregation to stumble, the whole church. Now, the Lord is sparing David. Well, first of all, so that the Savior would come. But also, there are some tremendous things that we'll see here this morning. There are some seemingly very dark mysterious twists in the life of the family of David. How is God going to bring the Savior? Look at the family. Look at the state of affairs. Look at these two brothers, Absalom and Amnon. How is God going to be glorified in all of this? Well, the Lord is fulfilling his gracious purposes. By and by, we see that the Lord is on his throne. And he will be glorified. Very soon, the people, even of Israel, will show their own fickleness as Absalom steals the hearts of many. Israel, of course, to fall even by David's sin. And David is working, the Lord is working something out, even in David's falling in Israel, to show their fickleness after going after Absalom. It might look like a very troubled sea at the moment. But you know, to God it's the sea of glass. Everything is under his supreme command and control. We have that wonderful picture, don't we, in the book of the Revelation, the sea of glass. We think also, don't we, of that sea when the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea and after God completely destroyed them. The army of Pharaoh, the sea was calm. God can calm the sea. But God is in control. It might seem a very troubled sea. It might seem like disaster for David here. And it is in some ways. But God is on his throne. It doesn't work out well now for these two sons. And in this passage, it doesn't seem to even work out well for David. But in the end... God will work out his purposes and God will be glorified. Firstly, I want you to think with me here in the verses 1 to 5 here. And in this narrative of the foolishness of polygamy. Polygamy is foolish. It's not only not sanctioned by God in his word. God never approves of it. But it's absolutely foolish. It's folly to take many wives. David, remember, by taking many wives to himself, well, he ended up committing adultery. We've said before, we shouldn't be surprised that David ended up committing adultery by, first of all, taking many wives. Sin never has enough. But now there's trouble in the family. There's great rivalry with these two half-brothers, Absalom 
and Amnon. And amongst the various wives that are in the family, there was, like in Jacob's family, wasn't there, we think of uh, Leah and Rachel and even the concubines and the maidservants, should we say, there was rivalry, there was difficulty. And they were trying to compete with one another. And we even see it here. Amnon is the oldest. And uh, we'll see from Scripture, I trust there was also a rivalry there. Remember, Amnon technically is the heir to the throne. Absalom despises him. Amnon is the oldest. But firstly, I want us to think upon this, the foolishness of polygamy. It's absolute folly. When some people say, oh, well, the Bible speaks about polygamy, well, that's often because they just give the Bible a very cursory reading, don't they? And they don't take time to study and learn. These things are never sanctioned by God. Secondly, I want us to think this morning of Amnon's sinful and selfish love. This is the kind of love that the world speaks about. It's not really love. It's lust. That's what's going on here. Now, we know if you just turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, Tamar, we have Tamar here, the daughter of David, and Absalom, the son of David, they shared the same mother, Makkah. And you notice there in verses 2 and 3, they share the same mother. Their father is David. And then we read there how Absalom and Tamar were full brother and sister to each other. And we read their mother being Makkah, the daughter of Tamil, whereas Amnon was the son of Anohinim, the Jezreelites, David's first wife. So different, they shared different mothers, but they shared the same father. So as I said, Amnon was the firstborn, and thus he was the heir to David's throne. And so you can see perhaps already, before all this begins here, there's some rivalry between these two brothers. We shouldn't be surprised at this. So you notice in verse 1, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. They were full-blooded brothers and sisters, same father, same mother. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So that's by a, he's by a different mother. We've already covered that. Now we know that this isn't really love because we notice after he lays with her, he hates her. That's not love, is it? Not love in the right sense because of the way he ends up treating her. Now you notice in verse 2, and Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. He knew it was wrong. He knew it was against God's word. And yet he continued to entertain this lust and not pray against it in his life. It continued to fester in his heart, and he became exceedingly ill. And we, we notice here that later his friend, Jonadab, he notices that he's lost so much weight. He's become very faint. Notice verse 4, and he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? He's not eating food. He's become very lean. 
you stop eating. And this is because this sin became so dominant in this young man's life that he became sick. We read here, very sore vexed because he knew he couldn't touch his half-sister. Nonetheless, still his sister. Verse 3, But Ammon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was very, a very subtle man. In other words, he, this, and we can see it in this passage, he took great pleasure in organizing bad things. You know, but he, he could do something in such a way as if he gave the appearance that he had nothing to do with the bad thing that he was organizing. A schemer. We're told here a subtle man. He was very subtle in all of his ways. And uh, he's no friend at all. And he notices, as we see here, Ammon's sickly countenance and the fact that he's losing weight. He says, will you not tell me? Will thou not tell me? And Ammon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now notice what he says here. My brother's sister. He doesn't say my sister. And the first lesson we can say there is sin tries to disguise itself, doesn't it? Notice how she says my brother when she admonishes him. But he says to his friend, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. It's almost like he's trying to already excuse himself here. And sin does this. Not only did he have a subtle friend, but he was very subtle in his own heart. And he's trying to make excuse for his lust. It's not love, because it's proven not to be love. What is love? Love seeks the good for somebody else, doesn't it? That's true love, isn't it? You know... You hear many a young man may say to a young girl, well, if you love me, you'd do this or you'd do that. Love waits. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love seeks the best interest for other people, doesn't it? But that's not the case here. Very quickly, as soon as he gets what he wants, he hates her. He's disgusted with himself and he's disgusted with her. This is lust. What he has is a desire to simply satisfy himself in a sinful manner. This is lust. Lust of the worst kind. It's incestual rape. And uh, there are serious consequences. And he had the worst friend. These are not the kind of friends we need in life. People who will devise ways in which we can sin. A true friend will tell you the truth. Well, this man had the ability, this Jonadab, to be sufficiently at a distance, to show himself sufficiently at a distance, so that he did not seem to be implicated in it. And it's very interesting, at the end of this story here, he knows even about Absalom. Why Absalom was quiet for all that while, for all those years. It is Jonadab that tells David the end of the story. Well, if he was a true friend, what would he have done? He'd have said, don't do this wicked thing. Wouldn't he? 
True friend would say that. This is wicked. This is your sister. Stop saying it's your brother's sister. It's your sister. And here's the thing. God knows all. While this man was subtle and while Amnon was subtle in his sin, and while he thought he could get away with it, let us remind ourselves, God says in his word, be sure your sin will find you out. It's a solemn thing, isn't it? All our sins, we read in Psalm 90, are naked and open before the eyes of God. God says there in that psalm, even our secret sins in the light of his countenance, he sees them. And in Hebrews, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Anyway, you notice in verse 5 to 6, he tells Amnon, in, in effect, to be more sick than he really is. He's not actually sick. He's just not eating food. But he, he, he says to him to get in the bed and to ask for Tamar, to ask David. By the way, you notice the text there, ask your father David first. In other words, so it seems a legitimate thing that he's doing. Ask father David. Notice and verse 5, And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee. You see, this is going to make it all the more legitimate. You've asked the king permission. You see how subtle sin is. What he's saying is when you've got your father's permission, say to your father, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and so on. She is personally going to serve you. And he doesn't actually tell him what to do because he knows what he wants to do. And it's, it's wicked, isn't it? And so, notice even what he's to tell David. Let my sister Tamar come. Again, he's trying to emphasize the innocence there. Make yourself look so sick that your father, and, and the fact that you've asked your father It'll make you appear all the more innocent. How subtle this is. So he tells Ammon how to do this, and Ammon proceeds without any delay. Notice verse 6. So Ammon lay down and made himself sick, and when the king was come to see him, Ammon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar my sister come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand, and so on. Well, eventually David agrees to the request. And uh, Tamar visits him in the room, and very sadly, verse 11, when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. It's terrible. Well, you notice a helpless plea with her brother. Secondly, verse 12, and she answered him, Nay, my brother. And it's good she reminds him, you are my brother. Do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do thou not this folly. So she reminds him here of the, the folly, the foolishness of doing such a thing. This is not heard of in Israel. But now in the king's house, amongst the king's family, she reminds him of this great wickedness. And that this folly should never be done in Israel. Why? Because God will judge it. And she was right. 
She says, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? But he's not really interested in her shame, is he? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. And certainly did prove to be. She anticipates the shame here and the disgrace. And we notice after all is done, the poor girl, she weeps. He being stronger than her, forces her. It is rape. And she weeps. And people know. Now, we don't want to unnecessarily dwell on these things. It wouldn't be helpful, because they are terrible. But last time, remember, and we certainly don't want to ignore the word of God. This is very important for us to think on here. She says in verse 13b, Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold from me. In verse uh, in these verses here, well, she then proceeds, I should say, afterward, and, and he does it. It's terrible. Uh, the wickedness is done. The rape is committed. Well, where did his sin begin? It began in his heart, in his mind, as he pondered all these things. James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So we must be reminded of these things, friends. He began to ponder. And eventually, he gives in to his lust. And he falls. Now, every good and perfect gift, we're reminded by James, is from God, from the Father of lights. And uh, God only gives what is good. This is not God's gift. And young people, let me say, as I said last week, any sexual relationship outside marriage is sin. And is not a gift from God. You are to give yourselves in marriage. God will judge sin. And not only this, but remember now, God is dealing with David's life. This is part of God working out his purposes in David's life. You think of it, David, he has had sons that have observed his sin, have observed his life. And now how quickly they are following suit in wickedness. Our lessons to learn here, aren't they? Family can easily follow in in a way where the husband or the leader of the home, the father, has been unfaithful. We must follow on in God's way. Well, Tamar gave all the arguments. She said, you'll be a fool. Shame will be upon you. But it's amazing, isn't it? Satan blinds the mind of people. Sin promises reward. And there are many who choose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but soon they find that it brings shame to the life. And that is what happened here. 
So he goes headlong into this. Led by his friend, Jonadab, he told him what to do. And we've got to be, therefore be very careful who we make friends with in life, don't we? Who are our friends? Who are really our friends? Well, after she tries to reason with him, it says in verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Now, this is a terrible thing. And immediately as he does so, he is utterly ashamed and he begins to hate her. This is a terrible thing. Verse 15, then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so that he hated wherewith he, the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. Again, this is not really love, the lust that all seems to have gone. It was merely fleshly. The sin was done. Now he hates her. The terrible, we could say, reality of what he's done is hit home in his heart. And it caused him great disgust. She became, as it were, of nothing to him. He hated her so much for so-called love. Now you notice verse 16. What he does is immediately he calls for the servant to throw her out. And uh, she's not even, he's not concerned about her. He's already said, no, I'm not going to ask my father in marriage for you. This is even before he committed the, the act. But even now afterward, he doesn't even do that. He calls for the servant to bolt the door, throw her out. And uh, verse 16 to 17, and notice her veil and the garments that she has. She had a garment of divers' colors upon her, for which such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. And what does she do? She puts ashes on her head, verse 19, and rent her garment of divers' colors. She made very clear by the tearing of her garments that she was no longer a virgin. This is what the virgins wore, verse 18. But she tears it and then weeps, and it becomes very apparent, verse 20, to Absalom, that something sinister has happened. In all of her sorrow, we notice there, as she tore her princess's garments, this wholesome woman was beside herself. What is she going to do? Her life is ruined. And it seems either rumors or Absalom's put two and two together. We don't know. We can't be sure. But he knows something has happened. Verse 20, And Absalom said unto her, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But his answer seems terrible. What should Absalom have done at this point? This is rape. The law should come into play here. But what does he say? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. He looked after her. He says, 
Behold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. And the interesting thing here is Absalom does not seem to be so disgusted over the sin. There's more of a hatred for his brother. Because if he really hated the sin, surely he wanted justice. Of course, it's a wrong thing to do, and he knows. But he has a real hatred for his brother. Again, I say that there is rivalry. You read the best of the commentators, they will tell you because he's the older, or Amnon is. And then Absalom, next in line. There's this rivalry. And you notice equally, not only does Absalom not do the right thing, he should have told David. And it doesn't seem that Absalom tells David. Look, verse 21. But when the king heard of all these things, he was very wroth. David was fuming at what had happened here. But the thing is, David didn't rise up and have his son put to death. That would have been the right thing. That would have been the right thing. Justice met. Why? Would you think of it, David has escaped capital punishment, hasn't he? Just recently, after killing Uriah. And what we could say, the third lesson, is that sin has now weakened David's position. And it does. Fathers, if we sin, and then your son sins, you feel yourself to be in a very weak position, don't you? David, no doubt, would have felt a hypocrite, but that still doesn't excuse him. David would have been right to say this is what the law said. But remember it was, was it not Nathan the prophet that gave the verdict, David thou shalt live. But now David may be feeling that guilt. I'm a hypocrite. I killed a man. Surely I can let this murder or or this uh, rape go. David now is weakened in his sin. David's own sin weakened his position. And you think about it, David also, he himself conspired to, with Joab to kill Uriah. That was murder. Could he condemn Amnon? Could he condemn even his wicked friend? You see how sin can weaken us in our position. You see, increasingly David was unable to rule his own household with authority. And that is what sin does to us, friends, doesn't it? Doesn't sin weaken our authority and our standing with people? And people say, you hypocrite. How dare you? But it still doesn't excuse us, does it? Right is right. Wrong is wrong. David weakened his position with Joab. He conspired with Joab and all of Israel knew so much about David now. And if he were to be hard on his son, people might say, well, you hypocrite. Well, he'd say, well, you know what? I deserve to die. That's what a sincere and honest man would do, wouldn't he? And that's what David should have done. He should have set an example here with his son. 
Let this be a warning to all of us. And let it be a warning to whom we listen to. Let us seek in our lives to be consistent, because if we're not, it'll weaken our standing in our own families, with our own children. It'll weaken our standing in the church. When a, you know, a minister doesn't practice what he preaches, it weakens him, doesn't it? It weakens his own family, it weakens the authority of any leadership in the church. And we mustn't make excuses for sin. Absalom certainly was not right in saying, well, you know, just, just come and stay with me. Keep quiet. This is all wrong. He himself should have gone to his father, David. It was not right either for David to do nothing. Although David was fuming, David should have done the right thing. Now, we know David must have been very upset at this. I remember an illustration once given of a newspaper headline. And uh, sometimes we, 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 we see things from different angles. But remember this illustration given, man executes another man. And then we read, man executes his son. And then we read on further past the column and we're reading the, the, the news headline, man executes his son weeping. Why? Because he's the just king. But you think when it comes to God having to execute his son, Jesus Christ, by the hands of wicked men on account of his people, you see, God could not spare his only begotten son, could he? But he delivered him up to judgment for his people. And we must understand that God is a God of justice, friends. And right is right. If David excuses sin and if David does not begin, if judgment does not begin in his own house, he will be weakened in the kingdom. We can see this happening already. And this is reminding David already, David, that he had failed in his own life. How he had killed Uriah the Hittite, how he had committed adultery, and now he can't deal with sin in his own family. It's a reminder, isn't it? Although David was angry, he was weakened. And Absalom spake unto his brother Ammon, neither good nor bad. Very subtle. Verse 22. For Absalom hated Ammon because he had forced his sister Tamar. He's just waiting his time now. And we read verse 23, And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers at Balhazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. He's got a plan. All the king's sons. So two full years have passed now. And it seems that all is forgotten. But you see, Absalom here now is concealing his hatred for Amnon. And it's a long time. And he devises a, you notice in verse 24 to verse 26, a subtle plan. This time of sheep shearing, he goes to his father and the father says, no, I, we, I won't send my men to this sheep shearing. But eventually what happens is Absalom persuades David 
that all the sons of King David can go and sheep shear with him. It seems a very bizarre thing. Absalom came to the king, verse 24, and said, Behold now, thy servant has sheep shearers. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. You see, he's got a plan. He knows that the father's not going to agree with this, but there's something else. There's a disguise behind this plan. He knew all this would be refused by his father. But now what he asks, he asks in such a way that it appears to be innocent. What does he ask? I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. Why? Because he wants to kill Amnon. In a secret, in a subtle way, he's going to get his servants to do it, and he does that. Absalom pressed him, verse 27, that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Maybe David was worried at this time. Maybe David had suspicions. We don't know. It's quite possible that all the sons go. Well, in verse 28, the order is given by Absalom. He tells his servants, kill Amnon when he's merry with wine. And you think about it. Remember what David tried to do with Uriah. He tried to get him drunk. Didn't he? And what is Absalom doing now? Getting his brother drunk and then slay him. And the deed is done. Also, like David, he got others involved. So he's under the influence of drink and then he's murdered by the servants of Absalom. Verse 29 And the servants of Absalom did unto Ammon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man gat him up upon his mule and fled. They were probably worried, now what is going to happen? Fleeing for their lives. And maybe fleeing after what had happened. One of the brothers are killed. And a report comes back. You notice that all of David's sons are dead. This must have shocked David. Now it was a false report. Only one of the sons are dead. And it came to pass while they were in the way that the tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there is not one of them left, not a son left. Now, that must have sent great shock into David's system. And what happens? The king begins to tear his garments, and he lay on the ground. He is in absolute shock and horror. All of his sons are dead. Surely the judgment of God, he's thinking, has come. But Jonadab's secret is actually exposed here. Notice in verse 32. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my Lord suppose that they have all slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. How did he know? This man was a subtle man, wasn't he? Sometimes, you know, it's interesting, people let things slip that they have pretended not to know. And it comes out of the mouth. He knew the plan. 
He knew. Notice how long that Absalom had hated him for two whole years. Verse 33, Now therefore let my lord the king take this thing to heart, to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead, but Absalom fled. And the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside, turned to him, and Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come, as thy servant said, so it is. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of speaking, that behold, the king's sons came, and so on. Well, David had mourned for him. And he longed for Amnon to come back. And he got over that. Why? Because I suppose death is irreversible. But he never gets over Absalom hiding, does he? That is reversible. Absalom could come back. But he doesn't. He had, it seems, an unhealthy love for his son. You know, real love for his son would say, Son, God is a God of justice, and God must be honored. You have done the deed, punishment must be executed. If you love God, you must honor God. Sometimes in churches, Family matters are involved. And a church has to stand on the word of God. And that can be very difficult, my friends. Especially where family is involved. But here's the thing. God's honor is at stake, isn't it? God's name is at stake. And it seems that David has an unhealthy love for his son Absalom who his son eventually turns on him and sleeps with all of his concubines. It's wicked. The son that did him no good. The son that has no respect for him. The son that does not honor God. David is so blind, and sin can blind you, can't it? And yet, David, he was silent when it came to Amnon. After what Amnon had done, David did nothing. Self-interest. Reminds me a little bit about, you think of Isaac and his unhealthy love for Esau. Remember? He loved him because he gave him venison. He had a weak spot. David has a weak spot here. David overlooks sin, but the Lord does not overlook sin, friends, does he? God will be honored. The best thing you can do for your children sometimes, punishment, punishment must be met. Justice must be served. He who spares the rod spoils the child. You do them no favors in the long run, do you? And the church is... is Never, if discipline is not exercised in a church, it does no favors to the church, does it? Absalom, the murderer, that's overlooked. So is Amnon. 
David Alter brought the law of God upon his son. Think of that malefactor on the cross. There were two dying next to the Lord Jesus. What was happening that day? What did he say to his friend? We are receiving our just desserts. And what about the Lord Jesus? The greater picture. Was he not receiving the deserts of his people? Was he not being punished in their stead? It's amazing, isn't it? You see, God cannot overlook his justice. He would impugn his holiness. God is just and God is pure. If Absalom would have repented, even before the sword fell on his head or whatever way that he was going to be executed, he would be in glory. Wouldn't he? He'd be in glory. And David would be honored as the king who honored God more than he honored his sons. David, you see, was distracted from devotion to what was good and upright to devotion to himself and an inordinate love for his family. He had inordinate love for Bathsheba. And what has it led to? It's led to all kinds of trouble. He should have loved his family. And friends, let me say this. We must love our family in a way that glorifies God. Not in a way that pleases us. I hope we learn that if we learn anything here this morning. We must love our family in a way that glorifies God. Not simply in a way that pleases us. Remember that headline that I gave you, that news headline. Man executes another man. Man executes his son. Man executes his son with tears. Man executes his son because his son is a murderer. But Jesus Christ became sin for his people. That's the difference, isn't it? God must be honored. What are the lessons as we close? The world's love, my friends, is godless. If you do not love somebody for their best interests, you don't really love them at all. If you don't love them in God or for the sake of God, It's wrong, isn't it? Look at Amnon. When he got what he wanted, he hated her. He despised her. Young ladies, if the young man or the other way around cannot wait, they're really dishonoring you and they're dishonoring God. It's also true with money. It's also true with possessions and so-called friends. We have to be truthful in life, don't we? There are only those who want you in their lives when you can give them something. Those aren't real friends. A friend loveth at all times, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes a friend's words will wound you, but they will do you good.
He speaks the truth in love. And something else, real love wants to give whatever it can to the body of Christ, not to take, but to give. Love is more about giving than taking, isn't it? True love. Love one another as I have loved you. What did he do? He gave himself. You know, there are many people, we call them spiritual butterflies. They hop from one church to the next, sucking, as it were, the nectar out of every church. And they go for themselves. Oh, what can I get from here? What can I get from there? But never really interested in investing in the lives of other people. How wrong is that? Selfish, isn't it? I go for myself. I go to get pleased. But you're not pouring your life into other people's lives. That's not love. That's not devotion. Something else as we close, unrighteous hatred. There is a time to hate. There, is a t- there are things we should hate. But this is unrighteous hatred. It was not a hatred for sin, because he would have gone straight to David, Absalom. But he took vengeance into his own hands. Remember the Lord said, vengeance is mine. His desire was personal vendetta. His desire was personal vengeance. If Absalom believed in justice, why didn't he take the matter to David? Well, he wasn't interested in God's justice, you see. You see, Amnon was already his rival to the throne. And we've got to be very careful. We want justice, but we want the Lord to deal with matters. We want him to fight our battles. Something else, David's unprincipled love is a mark of his lack of love for the Lord and the Lord's justice. He had an unprincipled love for his son. And that is quite possible amongst believers. He does nothing about Amnon's raping his daughter when he hears about it. But he wants Absalom back. Terrible. Let me say this, love is principled. Is love not principled? Love cares about the truth, doesn't it? Love does not sweep things under the carpet. Sin must be dealt with, because we'll all have to stand before God. Absalom and Amnon will all have to stand before Almighty God. But what do we do? Showing our children that we care more about God's justice and honor than anything else. Our love to God, friends, should determine how we love others. Let me say it again. Our love to God should determine how we love others. You know, the church today speaks a lot about love, but it knows nothing really of biblical love. Paul says in Romans twelve nine, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor what is evil, cleave to that which is good. You say, well, how can you put love and hate in the same verse? Well, God does. He says, love, that which is good, cleave to it, and let love be without dissimulation. 
Abhor what is evil, cleave to that which is good. Something else, the unsaved, the ungenerate, most often hate in others what they easily and most wickedly do in themselves. Absalom, through his hatred for his brother's sin, lying with his sister, and that's what he did. We read earlier, what does Absalom do in chapter 16? He lies with his father's wives. What he hated in his brother, he ends up doing himself and to a greater degree. Friends, we're called to holiness, are we not, as God's people? And the path to holiness is by loving God, by principled obedience to his word, by Jesus Christ. Where sin is not harbored, where God is loved supremely, oh, that David would see the folly of his sin, the sin that he committed earlier, the sin now of his sons. And it's a lesson, isn't it? Often our children, sadly, will follow in our poor example. And that can be a great, great judgment upon us. But the Lord is gracious. Thank the Lord that despite all of this, David would be kept until David's greater son would come into this world. God does judge sin. God doesn't always judge directly. This is a lesson. But he will use even the sins of others to judge our sin. Horrendous, isn't it? But God does this in love. Remember what the Lord said to him. David, because of your sin, the sword will not depart from thine house. And therefore we've got to be very careful because God will use sin, even the sin of others, to deal with our sin. And you think of the, in the ultimate sense, what did God do concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was put to death by the hands of what wicked men. God used the sin of men to deal with our sin in Jesus Christ. Only God can do that. Even the God of grace, the God of wisdom, will work all things together for good to them that love him, to them that are the called according to his purpose. May, may God help us. May we apply these lessons and thank the Lord ultimately that he is wise above all things. And when we think that he is just not working, he is. He's working all things after the counsel of his own will. Amen.